Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Taking you behind the curtain, it's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I am excited because I am a big fan of Sharon Glass, who has finally written her memoir. Apparently, there were complaints. And I can't tell you what a kick I got out of this book. It, <laughs> it took me through such great times. And when everyone, I'm so sick of virus, morning, noon, and night... That right to, to read. Apparently, there were complaints about <laughs> Sharon, about her family, about Cagney and Lacey, queer as folk, burn notice, and wait. Your husband just mentioned one more. What one did I leave out? The trials of Rosie O'Neill. Oh yes, I didn't want to forget. It's, it's that a series one. he created for me right after. Okay, but. I loved hearing about a different Hollywood and when there were players who had contracts and life was just totally different. But explain, I'm curious, Sharon, what made you at this time decide you want to do a book and share your family, warts and all? <laughs> well, the truth is, Joan, um, I went into uh, CBS uh, my home of Cagney and Lacey. Right. Many years later, after I'd done my seventh series, I can't remember, but anyway, they asked to meet me, knowing that the series I was shooting was about to end. And Nina Tassler, the head of CBS, says, welcome home, Sharon. I was so touched. I thought, God, this is mm. wonderful. And so I sat for an hour waiting for them to offer me a series. And at the end of the hour... Nina says, Sharon, you know, we own Simon & Schuster. I said, I didn't know that. She said, yes, and you have a book in you. I said, Nina, I'm, I really, I've never written. She said, I know that, but you're a storyteller. So she offered me, she said, Simon & Schuster, the president, called me the next day, and I waited a year, and I went to see him, and I read one chapter to him, and that's how I got my, and I, he signed me. And you and, did um, it. My, That's the part. <laughs> I, I came up with the title first. Um, and it, it was an expression I used to use about like, drinking. And, you know, I'd, I'd always make jokes about about it. And so I apparently there were complaints with something that I had said earlier that always made Barney laugh. And I said, that's my title. And the title informed. Right. Even but living in Hancock Park in fancy L.A. doesn't being complained about no but you know what it's what <laughs> it's one thing to say you know you've got a book in you it's another thing for you to go home and write a book that's oh. that so hard to sit there and write a book it's Joan, like, i never really enjoyed being a writer and that's why it took me so long but i do now enjoy being an author 
because I yeah. need to talk to you. <laughs> no, and it's and it's interesting when you write your life and you look back and hey, it's okay. It's really cathartic. Yeah, it actually it was. It was not my intention. But I realized as I was writing the last chapter, which was actually the hardest, um, that I did it with, uh, I did it by, I had to look in the mirror and I had no, no booze and no cigarettes to put a screen up, you know, right. around my heart. And um, I, I became proud of myself by the end. Um, and I, I really, I've not, I've, I've really had a wonderful life, but um, there were a lot of complaints. And um, I had a grandmother who was daunting. Yeah, what a character she is. She's her yeah, own book. But she, she was, she was, was a character, and she was, she was like, like out of a movie. I think Helen Hayes would be playing. Um, but she, and I was her favorite of 17 grandchildren, but that made her the roughest on me. Mm. And she held the purse strings, and I don't have to tell anyone, I'm sure who's listening, if someone else holds the purse strings, you have to dance. Right, and they did dance. The family oh, danced, boy. and you and you learned early on how to make and I sure grandma. That I needed to earn my own living. As long as someone else was holding my the purse strings, I had to to um, cooperate. And I'm not and you saying did. that the the decisions I made in my life have all been stellar, but um, at least they were my choices. And it was interesting. Here you come from this L.A. family. I mean, I never knew anyone who was from L.A. You have five <laughs> generations there. And right. even when you were a kid and went to boarding school and gained a little weight, which everyone gains at boarding school or college or anything else. I mean, we eat our way through angst and anxiety. Right. Gained a lot of weight. Right, a lot. It was your <laughs> grandmother that you worried about. Well, she she locked me up after I got out of boarding school. She locked me up in her house in Carmel, and um, put I mean, you on a she, diet. She put me on a diet because I was having to make. In those days, they had debutante balls. It's, it's embarrassing now, but no, they um, still have them. Oh wow! Um, <laughs> anyway, my grandmother said, "I'll be damned if you're going to walk out there looking like Moby Dick in a white <laughs> dress." So. She locked me up and took 40 pounds off of me. That was her big complaint. Um, but the book discusses the emotion of the journey with her and kind of the joy of walking out that night and showing her my dress. Because it was very, very hard at the time. It makes me cry just to talk about it. No, and so, you, when you describe that, you know, when I was reading that, and what it was like, it brought me back to one of my college roommates who had a similar situation, you know, where she had to please the mother and the grandma. And right. before they came on visiting day, I still remember we had something in those days called Merry Widows. Oh, sure. Which, remember the strapless? I used where... to sleep in mine when I was young because <laughs> it was too hard to put on in the morning. So I put Ex it on the night before. Exactly. And I had it took two of us to strap her in the Merry Widow before oh, visiting sure. day. So the parents and the grandma wouldn't think she was as chubby as she was. I know. So 
I mean, we all go through. The trick through. is it does shove everything up or down. So if it, you don't get away with it. You no, know, I just like you don't get away with cheating on food with grandma's eagle eyes, you know, thinking you pulled a fast one. I'm talking exactly. to Sharon Gless. Apparently there were complaints. Her brand new book about coming of age in Hollywood, deciding despite a lot of people saying no, 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 becoming an actress. She knew from the time she was just a young kid that this is something she had to do. And the studio system was so different in those days. I loved reading about it. You became a contract player. Well, that wasn't easy. No, well, it was, it was, I, I didn't know I was going to be getting that contract. I just, as I say in the book, this magical thing happened as a mistake on stage one night. I was in a little play, just folding chairs. We didn't charge anybody, you know. Um, ran two nights, but I made a terrible mistake the opening night. And there was a man sitting in the audience that thought it was so funny. He called me from Universal Studios and, and uh, introduced me to the head of talent. And I got a contract there. Seven years, uh, ten years there's seven-year contracts, but I was there 10 years, and now I'm the last, I was the last person to leave. Wow. Well, the last contract player in Hollywood. It's, it's really hard to believe that, but that was the time. And also, Sharon, who worked all the time in Kojak and the Rockford Files on Bob Newhart on all our great shows, and then not happily, but sort of being pushed into it, playing Cagney on Cagney and Lacey, where you won every award sort of known to man and the trials of Rosie O'Neill, queer as folk. And it went on and on. I mean, most people, my actor friends, say uh, every Monday we have that thing in the pit of our stomachs. Am I going to work this week? Am I going to get called? What's going to happen? And you worked all the time. I've just been very, very blessed. Please know I do not take this casually. I just, when I decided it's really what I wanted to do, the the world opened up. I I consider it magic, or if you dream really, really hard, you know. uh, Somebody's out there who's listening and and, and picks you. And then to walk into Cagney and Lacey, which I turned down twice, Barney says actors are not always the best judges of material. Um, right, and he was, a, that was his show. Very much so, yes. And um, I, I was very, obviously, that was the most important show, probably, because it took my life totally into a new direction. And apparently changed many lives, that show did. I'm proud of it. Right, and it changed the lives of a lot of people, because your show dealt with topics that no one dealt with and that wasn't openly discussed like that. And there you are in front of what, 30 million people talking about. I know. In those days there were only three networks, you know? Yeah. And, and so we had, I think 30, 30 million viewers, which is astounding. And we dealt with subject matters, Joan, that had never been touched just and spoken of. Sexism, uh, breast cancer, spousal abortion, abortion, uh, alcoholism. I mean, Cagney took a real tumble on that show. Right. But it was the first time they'd ever had a hero of the series fall from grace. 
But you did, did so much. That's right. The alcoholism thing, which you write about, is was a big deal because it was so real that you couldn't believe you were watching it. And it, <laughs> and it turned out you didn't believe it was you, but it turned out that character suddenly really became you. And yes. you had a, and you had a deal. I did. I mean, I, I, I did not go lightly to that dark night. Is that the book? Um, but I, uh, yes, Ronnie Meyer, my agent, took me to dinner one night and just nailed me. He said, I think mm-hmm. you're alcoholic. And, um, he just called me the other day and read the book. <laughs> but I don't remember being that hard on you because you were, um, uh, but I did, I I didn't see it in myself. And Joan, I need to say something. I was cold stone sober when I did those scenes on Cagney's. I was not drunk. I was not drinking when I did those scenes. And it's important that people know that because I I was meeting with Maggie Smith one day and she said, I love those drunk scenes of you and Cagney Lacey, best I've seen on TV. And I said, Maggie, I was not drunk when I did those scenes press is saying is life imitating art and she said oh honey you can't she do did. that kind of work to not be sober yeah and and look what happened of course you did that kind of work and that was what made you different from so many other performers you put so much into Cagney into every part with so many layers that it was real and, and that's your gift and that's oh, why, oh. from the time you were just a kid, <laughs> you worked. You had that gift that people saw that. And when it's I, so hard for so many people, right, to get work, you got right well, in I there. Didn't, I'm so sorry. I didn't start working as an actress until I was 28 years old. Right. I entered the business late in life, but the head of Universal said, Sharon, I think you've been acting all your life. Now we're just going to pay you for it. <laughs> that, that, that's a great gift too and then it was on Cagney and Lacey that and you always had loves and relationships but the big one came along at a different stage in life that's right and we you're referring you, to my husband Barney to your husband Barney my now husband Barney we, of course, you're now, and I hope forever, husband party. Forever, that's right. <laughs> that he, I introduced him as my first husband, and he introduces me as his last wife. Please God. You know what? <laughs> I love that, and I have a friend who does that too. He says, "You know what? I had a lot of wives, but this one is the best. The last one is the keeper." So well, it's been thirty years now, but it was it was rough going. I tell the story, and I tell the truth. Book, yeah, um, of how we came together, which was very difficult. And he and, was your um, boss too. He was my boss. He created Cagney and Lacey. He was the executive producer. Right. Um, he was the first feminist I ever met. And that, that I knew of. And, and the thing with being married to a feminist is he says things like, "You want an equality? Open your own door." <laughs> go, well. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm still suffering from the Cinderella syndrome. <laughs> Women my age 
definitely want equality and fought for it. But we also, when we were young, we still were sort of believed that Walt Disney was telling the truth about relationships. Right. You know, we, we objected, objected to a lot of stuff. But if the trucker right. didn't whistle on the street, we were <laughs> mortally offended. <laughs> That's right. I mean, it was a brave, it was a brave new time. But it's one thing when it's your boss and he has to tell you what to do in many ways or how to do it or what's good and what's not so good. And right. then to fall for him. Which you I did. did, you know, I, 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 I didn't, I didn't mind. I, I couldn't stand him when I first met him. But, um, <laughs> then I gained tremendous respect for him as a producer. I saw what he was doing. We had no idea the impact we were having because Tyne and I didn't bar any doing. But Tyne and I worked on a sound stage. It's not like we were on stage on in the theater. People were applauding. We had work to do. We were on a sound stage for 12, 18 hours a day. And we didn't realize the impact we were having out there where other women's lives were being changed because of uh, the scripts that Barney was um, not authoring, but, you know, controlled. Right. Many of our writers were women. Many of our, not many, but several of our directors were women. And that was unusual. Yeah, I was going to say no one did that. No. And while we were on the air, I know you didn't ask me this, but while we were on the air, the six years, no other woman won the Emmy. Now, time won four and I won two. I'm okay with it, Joan. Mm. Um, but the, the good news is that I don't know if we won it because we were so great. We won it because we had the material. And in the 80s, no one was writing for women. Right. And there it was. And there it was. And it it was life-changing for you, and it was really life-changing for the industry. And I love the story in the book when Cagney and Lacey, a big hit show, was canceled for obviously no reason. Right. And what you guys did with Barney as the leader to get that show yeah, he, back. He wrote, it, it does show the power of the people. He wrote... Uh, got all the letters that people had written in saying how upset they were. And he got them all together himself, got times and mine and his own. And he wrote a letter to each person asking them to write a letter to their affiliate station and to the New York times, I believe. And um, all these letters, people responded. They were all sent to CBS in Los Angeles. And they became overwhelmed. And it shows that people have a choice. They have a vote. They can. And they, the people brought us back. By the thousands everywhere. Oh, hundreds of thousands. Apparently. Yeah. But they had no choice but to pay attention. I know and CBS it, said, I guess we made a mistake. So they had to read you times in my contract. That was sweet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And um, at that, it's tasteless to discuss money, but the nice thing was at that time, we became the highest paid women in total. Right, which was extraordinary. He and never Sharon, asked me. Yeah, but well, of course not. Everyone was still deferential. You were happy to get it. Oh, I'm so lucky. You know, <laughs> it, 
It's, I didn't even think to ask what the men made. I was just so happy that we, we right? were brought back. We were the winners. I'm lucky. When you say to a guy, how did you get there or what contributed to your success? Well, they'll modestly say, I'm gifted. I'm brilliant. I had this. I had that. A woman would say, luck. I'm lucky. You know, rather <laughs> than say, you know, anything else. But Sharon, when, when you decided that maybe working in those, in this industry that way, and when you do a daily show, it's a killer all the time. You should was, know. Was that, what was that like for you? Was it hard? Have you adapted or do you want to go back and do something? I want to go back. I love every minute of it, Joan. Every minute I was on a set. <clears throat> Pardon me. I don't remember getting tired. We'd work sometimes 18 hours a day. But I just, pardon me, got off on it. I love to work. I've, I've done many series now. I've been blessed. And, um, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, and I, I'm just, I've had a wonderful time. I never got bored on a set. The show wasn't good. Um, there was one show where I did a four-part of Yes Positive. I was unhappy. Um, but never, ever, ever again. I ever, I, I just, I love it. And I love a TV series. It's, you have a family that's with you, hopefully for years. Um, you just, you do become a family. Okay, and well, we're it. ready. We're ready for you to come back. Do you keep up with uh, Tyne Daly? I talk to Tyne Daly almost every day mm-hmm. now. Since COVID, we started checking in with each other. And um, Joan Tyne's mother had a great expression. Sweat makes a great cement. (laughs) And Tyne Daly and I sweat together for six years against all odds, being called names. Um, uh, And and we are cemented for life. Which is wonderful. And that was part of what worked on that show, which originally had not worked, that that connection, that compatibility, we believed every minute of it. Oh, and, thank you. No, but, and that's the truth. All right, so we're ready for you to come back. Thank you. Well, I've done nine. I had someone told me I was doing an interview that I had done nine series. I didn't realize that. And Betty White had done ten. And I said, well, I want to step up there with Betty. But now Betty's not with us. She'll always be no. with us. Um, but anyway, I have another one in me. So Okay. I'm and in. even, Sharon, this book could turn into a series. You know, that young <laughs> girl from that family with the grandpa who was the lawyer to every major player and leader in Hollywood and her life is a great adventure. We love that. When you Thank see TV, you. when you see Thank TV you. shows, remember like Emily in Paris or shows like that. Hey, how about Sharon in L.A.? Uh, Which that would is be much, much more It'd be a realistic. Miniseries. Yeah, Barney can do it. <laughs> I, I tried to talk him into, but he says he's done. He likes well, the tropics. I know, but he could do it in the tropics. Yeah. 
So, well, we'll talk about that next time. I love the book. I love visiting with you. Joan, Come visit I'm again. So thrilled. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Sharon Glass, apparently there were complaints. Honestly, <laughs> it cheered me up. I didn't think about COVID. I thought about nothing but what was going on and what Hollywood was like in those days and what it was like to be an actress, what it was like to come from a family that looked on the outside like perfect and had all these issues. And here she is taking us by the hand on a wonderful journey. Congratulations and enjoy. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. All the best. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC Mordecai. Stay tuned.